Coming at you live and direct like Charles Oakley at a game at Madison Square Garden. We are once again the Pace and Space Podcast. I am your host as always, Calvin. With me as always is my co-host, Leif. And we have a special guest with us today, our good friend, Martin. Martin, like us, is a, is a fan of the game. He's an avid Nets fan. And he's here to talk about some of the things that have been going on in this tri-state area the last couple of weeks. So I just wanted to get everyone introduced first and foremost. And take it away, guys. How you doing? Leif, how you doing, Martin? Well, I'm doing great this evening. How how you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm enjoying this. This is exciting. Well, yeah. we're glad to have you aboard. We look forward to hearing what you have to say, especially when we start talking a little bit about the Nets. We want to hear your take. Right. We're glad to have the family expand even more on this podcast. You know, as we were saying, me and Leif, we're we're friend, we're fans, we're friends. We like to talk about the NBA, and this is what we're doing, trying to relate with everybody, all of our listeners. Just talking, just like you guys probably talk at home, at the bar, having dinner, what have you. And we're going to try and have a nice conversation about, about different teams, right? What are we going to talk about tonight, Leif? Well, we got to talk about the Knicks. Um, that... That is something that we can't let go by. It seems like we're always talking about the Knicks, but yeah. the Knicks are just hot news right now. We have to talk about the Knicks. And we got to talk about the other team in New York. We got to talk about Brooklyn, talk about what's going on with them. Right now, they're the worst team in the league, but we have to find out why. We have to talk about that a little bit. But then we also got to talk about the Lakers. So we got, we're going to talk a little bit about organizations see what's going on with them, and, you know, should be a good conversation this evening. Yeah. Leif decided to drag in my Lakers to this conversation tonight. I was good not talking about it, but they got some interesting stuff going on, so we're going to chat that up a bit. And as we mentioned, we're going to talk about the Nets. And, and Mario, how do you feel right now? What's, 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 your, what's your pulse? What's the fans' pulse right now with the Nets? Well, I'm easing the pain of Leif's... Uh worst team in the league comment, but it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm ever the optimist, so I see a lot of potential in certain players on the team. Um, I think there's some core things missing, but I think uh, con- considering the climate of New York basketball right now, I definitely think we have the opportunity to get better, and we, we can definitely hit an uptick second half of the season. And let's talk about that New York climate. So first and foremost, we got to talk about the Knicks. Like Leif said, we talk about the Knicks almost every week at this point. But they are just impossible not to talk about. Whether it's people getting escorted out of the stadium, whether it's subtweets from articles talking about the superstars, it just seems like it's one thing after another. And what do we have going on with the Knicks right now, Leif? Chaos. Chaos. And it seemed that it only went up to Phil Jackson, but now we see that it's going all the way up to the owner. It, it, it is just absolute chaos. There's no other way around it. Be- besides the whole mellow talk that we've constantly been talking about, now you got this Oakley thing, him being thrown out of the game, they're fighting, him getting three counts of, of a charge. It, it, it's just ridiculous what's going on there. Yeah, it it really is. It is it's sad to see a uh, a Nick legend like Oakley to see that happen to him. But it's just another ring on the ladder of what seems like a, a long climb to dysfunction by this franchise. You have any thoughts on this, Martin? I do. Um 
just looking online, you, you can see different articles where they Charles Oakley's been vocal about the uh, the Knicks team and its owner, uh, Dolan. And the sad contrast is he's a well-respected veteran amongst young players. Uh, you've seen the LeBrons, the Chris Pauls, Dwayne Wade's come to his defense. And it's shocking that it seems to be a part of Dolan's culture with team ownership and management to kind of be disrespectful towards these guys, like Patrick Ewing as well, where he can't even get an interview for for a coaching position. So as if I were a Knicks fan, I would be disheartened by it, and I would I would wonder just how much ownership cares about these legacy players that they have. Yeah, that's a good point. When you look at other teams in New York, when you look at the Yankees, when you look at the Mets, other teams like that, the Giants, the Jets, in a way, you almost feel like they're too married to their past, where they give a lot of former players prominent roles in the organization. And here you have the Knicks, where it's like the fans are begging them to honor that past, and they seem to be doing the opposite time and again, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say I would definitely say that. But you know, Martin touched on something. He like Virginia talked about Patrick Ewing, you know, getting a head coaching job. Um, I don't want to divert to it, but I wouldn't give him a head coaching job. You know, Patrick Ewing is a legend in his own right. I wouldn't want the last memory of him coaching and leading a team, you know, to a losing season or whatever. But going back to the Oakley situation, I tried to look at this from the other side a little bit. Like, what could Dolan's problem be with Oakley? And I've come up with a bunch of scenarios, but none of them justify the treatment he received yesterday. Definitely not. It, he was treated like someone who had like a drinking problem, was unruly, was just you know being a thug or an an oaf at a game, and not someone who was what he was trying to do. He was trying to be at the game. He was trying to reconnect with the owner and. Somebody brought up a good point. I was listening to a podcast this morning, and they said this had to be in some way a bit premeditated by James Dolan to have all that security just come rush out the, at the moment he tried to like hold a conversation or got into any type of debate. It, it seemed like maybe Dolan knew he was going to be there and didn't want to interact with him. And then when you see him getting carried out, Dolan just turns around like, oh, oh my gosh, what's going on? Is there is there a disturbance at the game? I don't know what's going on. Shoulder shrug, let me watch the game again. Like, he could have easily said to his staff, hey, listen, this is Oakley. This is a Nick legend. There's no need to take him out like that. You know, if he has to leave, he has to leave, but let's not let's not take it there. Don't Couldn't he have easily done that? He could have. He absolutely could have, but I think Dolan has this kind of this kind of owner who is very sneaky. He hides behind other people. We saw how he hid behind Isaiah Thomas back in the day, and right now he's hiding behind Phil Jackson. I mean, we already know a lot of things that Phil Jackson is saying right now is also some of Dolan's thoughts as well. And so that's how he is. Do we want to call him a coward? Maybe we have to call him that, but... That, that just shows that he's not willing to confront an issue. The fact that he just struggled and, as you described, act like he didn't know what was going on. 
he knew exactly what's going on. He knew exactly where Oki was going to be sitting, and he was just waiting for an opportunity. He just didn't think it was going to escalate to that extent, but he knew what he was doing. I think so too. What do you think, Martin? Well, I think this definitely shows that when a six foot nine black man tells you "Don't touch me," you should follow his instructions. Um, all kidding aside, I, I I think that Dolan is the kind of owner that that he's that arrogant rich kid. You know, it's my my dad owns Cablevision, so you know I'm gonna own this team, and I don't think he has has a pulse of the fan base. I think that he probably like some Nick fans thinks that they are this legacy in basketball in their entirety. And they don't have to do anything if we just, you know, throw in a mellow, pay a superstar here or there, then obviously we're we're due a championship. So I, I kinda wonder if he has even a a grip on on reality of how these actions are really so counterproductive towards the team itself. And when you read players like Reggie Miller saying, you know, I, I wonder what free agent you think you're going to attract with this kind of behavior. Yeah, that's definitely a good point, and that's also a very interesting topic because we've already had this uh, backlash against Phil Jackson, and you mentioned um, earlier, Leif, how uh, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, all these other players, Chris Paul, how they've come out in support of Oakley, and these are also the three guys who are known to be the closest to Carmelo Anthony as well. I don't find it coincidental that they're taking this moment to go out of their way to support Oakley and to show a lack of support to Dolan when they've probably had enough of what their friend Mello has been going through in New York as it is. What do you think about that? Yeah, like we said before, we know they talk. So this is more of them... This is more than just any individual member of the Banana Boat Brotherhood. This is more of a collective group of individuals speaking out. And that's why they're standing up for Oakley, that whole free Oakley movement. Um, I don't agree with the stance that they're taking. You know, I, I'd rather them just stay out of it. But, I mean, as you said, they're they're standing up for, their, for Mello, their friends. And so... They're trying to say what Melo can't right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, there is also this Kevin Ding article that came out this week, and we saw Phil Jackson return from his Twitter hiatus to basically reference this article, pretty much say that Kevin Ding had everything on the money except that he learned back in the CBA that he can't try and change players. And the reason that was so interesting is because the whole article is basically, for anyone who hasn't read it yet, is describing how Phil Jackson perhaps felt he could help move Carmelo Anthony into that Jordan Colby echelon of player, which may have been his impetus for re-signing him in the first place and how Melo has just proven not to be that type of player. So in a sense, basically saying Phil had the right idea in re-signing him. It's just that he could not get Melo to become the player that he thought he could have. What do you guys think about that? Whoever wants to go first, Martin, you want to you chime in? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I read the article. And I think 
part of what is stymieing Phil Jackson at this point is, is you you can only do so much with what you got. And it's not a knock on Melo because Melo is a great basketball player. He has laudable credentials. But like you said, he's he's not a, a Jordan or a Kobe. But that doesn't mean that he's not worth what you've given him or he's not a gifted basketball player. I think what Phil Jackson is at this point as well is he's a victim of his own success. And he's not open to accept the failures he's making. Um Carmelo's a great player, but they gave up too much to give to get him. And at the same time, they haven't really moved forward with surrounding him with quality players. You have the 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 sack of bones that is now Joe Kim Noah, and they're paying him seventy five million. They gave Brandon Jennings and Derrick Rose one year deals, but those guys have had flashes of former success. So I think Phil, as a vice president and executive to into his own success as a coach to realize that, you know, just like he can't make Melo, Kobe or Mike, he can't make himself Jerry West or or Popovich. He's gotta pick a role. And I think that's what's hurting this team as well. Yeah, that's a good point. What do you how do you feel on it, Leif? I agree with what Martin said there. Uh, I think right now, besides the fact of Phil Jackson feeling that he has to change Melo in some way I actually think he's also waving the flag. He's he's quitting. Um, I think he realizes that when he got into this, he thought that he could go in the front office and build a contender, build a winner. And he's now seeing that there's discord. As he recently tweeted, there's discord. There's, there's no unity in that team. And I feel he's at the point where... If he had a way out, he will take it. I think he's done. And so all of this right now, it, it's smoke and mirrors. And if Carmelo is not traded by the deadline, I think we're going to hear some news about Phil Jackson moving on. Interesting. I agree with both you guys. They have not, Phil has not put the pe- the proper pieces around Carmelo Anthony for any type of hopes for sustained success. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony is not Jordan. He's not Kobe. But to hold that as a downfall to him as a player, I think, is a bit unfair. There, There's only one Jordan. There's only one Kobe. But what you do, what you do have in this league also are guys like Dirk, like Steve Nash, you know, players like that where if you put the right pieces around them, then you can go somewhere and you can have some type of success and actually make deep runs in the playoffs. And we've actually seen that Melo can do that when you put the right team around him. When they finally put some smart veteran playmakers like a Chauncey Billups with him in Denver, they went all the way to the Western Conference Finals. When they came to the Knicks and Billups was there with him, they were able to go to the second round. The first, the first several years, Carmelo was there before Phil Jackson came in. They had a winning record in the in the grand scheme. They lost some playoff games. Yeah, they it took them a while to get win their first playoff series. But at the same time, when you contrast to it with where the team is now, since Phil has took over, 
they're obviously going in a much different direction, not the type of direction you would expect they would go for when they re-signed Melo. So they could say that Melo's hurting the team or Melo's not the, the right type of player, this and that. But at the same time, it's hard to really point the finger at him when he was winning over 50% of his games before this new front office took over. They haven't put real playmakers next to him. You can say they have Derrick Rose. You can say they have Brennan Jennings. But the problem is, are those guys out-and-out playmakers? And also, do those guys make sense in the type of offense you're trying to run? I don't think either of those answers are a yes to those questions. And like you, like you guys said, you bring in Joakim Noah, who hasn't been able to really play. You bring in perhaps a Courtney Lee. He's nice, but he's not a third or even a fourth option on a on a playoff team. He fills a role similar to like a Cephalosha or like a Kent Bazemore does in Atlanta. You don't expect more of him than that. Porzingis is a good player, but they still haven't established how they want to use Porzingis either. Is he a four? Is he a five? I personally think... They might want to play him at the five because then you could put Melo at the four. And when you have Melo as a stretch four with Porzingis at the five, I think you're really looking at something a lot more dangerous, especially from the offensive end. But when you look at what they've put together, it hasn't been an, it hasn't been an honest effort to win the last few years. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I agree. And even when you think about it, if Phil came out and said that he was looking at the team to rebuild it, he would get buy-in. If he said, look, you know, I, I'm looking at the team. I want our team to be competitive moving forward, so I want to get some picks. I want to make sure we make some smart, shrewd moves. You would get buy-in from the team. I mean, just look at what's going on with the Sixers. Granted, you don't have to take that badly. You just rebuild, but you have that buy-in. What he's doing right now is he's trying to sell you, as Martin said, bones, bodies, and saying, we have a good team. You know, Here's Noah, and here's D. Rose. Yeah, five years ago, that would have been something, but right now, that's nothing. And so he hasn't done anything to build a contender they may look good on paper, but the pieces when put together for an offense that you're forcing a coach to to put together, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. You, you don't have GM coaches like that. You know, you have mm-hmm. a coach first who's then a GM, but not a GM who's trying to be a coach. It doesn't work that way. Right. And I think that's the I think that's the thing he's falling victim to. I think he feels, you know, that he's so big, he, I'm Phil Jackson and have 11 rings, but it's a different ball game now. That's not how it works. This is a different NBA also. You can't just rest your laurels on one star player on your team. You have to build an entire team around that player. Yeah, and that you would – the reason they've hired Phil Jackson is because Phil Jackson was supposed to be the type of person that had the authority and clout to make those type of moves without backlash from the fans, right? You hire Phil Jackson because if Phil Jackson says, you know what, we need to tear this down and we need to start over, the fans are going to accept that. Dolan is going to accept that. Dolan basically begged Phil Jackson to come and be a part of this Nick organization. So 
above any other front office person that's come in to this Knicks organization before. He had a an authority and a clout like no other, and he had the ability, at least in my opinion, to say, okay, we're not going to re-sign Melo. We're going to build for the future, and we're going to try and redo this the right way so that we can have a foundation and go from the ground up for sustained success. And I think, like you said, there would have been buy-in for that, but he's been playing it a bit both ways, right? He re-signs Melo, gives him the no-trade clause, but now he wants to do everything in his power to get Melo to waive that no-trade clause, which is kind of really hard to understand the logic in that whole process. And then you have other moves, like you trade Robin Lopez for Derrick Rose. Great, fine. Derrick Rose on a one-year deal, you take a flyer on him. No, no real harm there. But then since you traded Robin Lopez, now you feel compounded or compelled, rather, to sign Noah to this four-year contract, which is really going to be an albatross to them as the years keep going by. And it, it also didn't make a ton of sense to sign Joe Kim Noah when you already had Kyle O'Quinn, when you had the rights for Hernan Gomez, and when you could realistically play Porzingis at the five as well. That didn't really seem to be the need there. It was almost it almost made more sense if you said, I have a surplus of big men, which is why I can trade Robin Lopez. Let me put this assets into perhaps uh, another wing player, maybe for some added bench depth, get some more playmakers to put around um, Melo and Porzingis. But instead, he went that other way. And and it's really interesting how they try to make Melo the scapegoat now in this situation when all Melo has done is play the way he's always played. And when you put good players around him, they get pretty far. And when you don't put good players around him, then you guys think. And it's really interesting how all this is supposed to be falling on his shoulders. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah, Martin, go ahead. Continue. <laughs> well, you know... I, I hear you and I agree 100%. And I think, too, this this goes to the old saying, it's hard to be humble when you're great. And uh, Phil has built this extensive resume. But we have to asterisk it with Kraus and Reinsdorf because they built those Bulls teams. It wasn't, you know, Phil Jackson saying, well, you know, get me a, get me a Rodman, get me a Luke Longley. You know, he just did the best with those pieces he had. And I think that Phil... In the past few years, you know, he, he kind of competed against himself. He he tried to finagle the Lakers into a half part-time coaching job when he would sit in a special chair in L.A. and coach the Lakers and uh, Shaw or whoever he designated yeah, coach Shaw. on the road. Yeah, and and I think we, you know, it, it gets lost that his his decision-making process as, as a VP, and really you have to wonder what the GM of the Knicks does. If, if you know what is this I believe his name is Steve Phillips is that their GM do we even know what he does because he he seems non-existent the team kind of runs itself you have Jeff Tornasek uh, who who was really surprised as a coaching choice because he doesn't seem to know the triangle has never played it he's played against it and I don't even see that they've ever done anything close to triangle this season really so I, I just I just see it as a as a debacle, and it's 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 like a Spanish soap opera. It's gonna get worse <laughs> as the, as the days go by. 
All right, exactly. So here is the million dollar question, guys. Do the Nets, do the Knicks rather, trade Carmelo Anthony by the deadline? Um, you know, I don't think they will. I don't think they'll get what they're looking for in terms of offers. And he has a no trade clause. So if they try to trade him anywhere where he doesn't see one of his banana boat buddies or or it's not conducive to his wife's career, because remember, she's she's in entertainment media. Um, she She's only going to be in New York or, or L.A. And I just don't see it happening. I think before the season ends, I could see somebody on that team quitting. And it won't be Melo because, you know, Melo seems to have the wherewithal to – just play his game and see what happens. And I don't think he really wants to trade. I don't think he'll accept it to anywhere they try to send him. Right. Now, you have to wonder at that point, what's the alternative, you know? Does somebody swallow the poison pill? Does Dolan say, all right, Phil, you know, this was not what I expected. Let's move on. I don't know. But I don't think he's getting traded. What do you think, I agree. Lee? I agree. I don't think he's going to get traded either. Um, for all the points that Martin mentioned – the only place that I think that is realistic for him to go would be to the Clippers. And we haven't heard too much more about that trade. They're looking for that third trade partner. So it's either he stays in New York or he goes to L.A. And I say New York because I still, hey, maybe the Nets can make a deal. I doubt it, but Maybe they could, but anyway, it's only between him staying there or going to the Clippers. And right now, based off of what I'm hearing, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I feel like they have to trade him, but I don't know if that trade is going to work itself out. Right now, they're in a position where they only have two options. It's either A, they trade Carmelo, or the second option is Phil leaves the organization. And I know you guys mentioned that, you know, he might be looking to opt out. He has that opt out at the end of the year. We've we've seen the divide is causing in the media with the fans. I mean, Spike Lee even said he'll pack Phil's bags because he would rather have Melo stay. And I don't think he's alone in that sentiment. On the other end of things, I know there's a lot of fans that feel Melo, the way Melo plays is the reason they lose. So they'd rather have Phil stay because... Phil brought them Porzingis, so everything he does is golden. But one of those two things have to happen. I don't think you can continue having both Phil in your front office and Carmelo being your superstar. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens this deadline and then to see what happens moving forward in, in, in the summer. Does Phil stay and Melo stay? I really don't see that. One thing people are saying may happen which seems kind of like a long shot kind of leads us into the next organization we wanted to talk about the la lakers some people still feel that there's a chance that phil could opt out of his job with the knicks so that he can join the laker organization again there's a lot of roadblock roadblocks to me on that one is that him and genie bus are no longer engaged Another one of those roadblocks are they're trying a very different process 
the word is now they want to kind of build a model similar to what the Warriors are doing. So you hire Magic Johnson. They're looking to bring Jerry West in. And it would not be that they're replacing, per se, a Jim Buss or Mitch Kupchak, but that all four of those people and Jeannie Buss and Luke Walton would kind of create this consortium of minds to discuss moves that need to be made and things of that nature. What is your take on this new direction the Lake organization is going in? And could you even see Phil Jackson working in that scenario? Well, no, I do not see Phil Jackson working that scenario. Um, so I'm not going to put him in that equation. Uh, yeah, it's best for the whole organization that he doesn't even don't even consider him for that. I agree, actually. What do you think, Martin? Oh, me too. I think that the Lakers seem to have a good thing going. They've got a nice core group of young players that they can develop. And I like the inclusion of Magic. I don't know if you guys remember uh, Magic coached at one point. Yes, remember that. And he did, and he did a very good job as a coach. And I think Magic, having been one of the fifty greatest players, has a mindset of what it takes to win. In looking at players, and I think that when you add Phil, like you said, to that consortium, Phil wants to be the loudest voice in the room. Yeah. And I don't think he'll defer to any of those other people. And I think that's why they had such a, such an acrimonious ending to their partnership in the past and mm -hmm. i i don't i don't see i think phil is is dangerously close to that george carl waters hmm. where i'm so big on my own ego that i just i'm just gonna tell it how i feel it is how i like it to be and you're gonna accept it because i am who i am and if he's paying attention that totally ruined george carl's career and i don't know if people even bought that book well, but it's it's bad for Phil. I don't see him. No, the Lakers don't need that. Period. Yeah, I mean, you know, Phil even had his own audacious tell-all book already before George Carl. So they've kind of gone a similar path. Phil Jackson did a better job at that time choosing his words than George Carl did in his book. Although, as we've seen from other comments involving players like LeBron. Phil does not always still choose the best choice of words. But I agree. I, I think what the Lakers are trying to do, it would be very hard to have Phil Jackson in that dynamic because, as you guys mentioned, everyone needs to be willing to defer to what the best idea will be, and that's going to be hard. I think that would be hard for him given the ego he's presented so far in an executive role. Um, but the, you know, the Lakers have a very interesting... Um, direction they're going for now you know Jim Buss this was the the year that they were supposed to turn into contenders by his own words and that hasn't happened so Jeannie is now within her rights to do what she thinks is best and I thought Jim Buss wasn't as bad as people made him out to be but what I will say is the fact that you can bring in a Magic Johnson and possibly even bring back Jerry West as well, I think that's going to make a much bigger difference in free agency when you're trying to land some of these big names to come back to the purple and gold. For whatever Jim Buss strengths and weaknesses are, it, it's just very clear that players don't want to talk to him. And Mitch Kupchak, he drafts really well. He's made some smart trades in the past. He's gotten some good deals. 
but maybe he's not the best person to recruit or interchange with these superstars to get them to want to come. Now, when you add Magic into that mix and you add Jerry West into that mix, then that changes the whole dynamic. Players want to talk to Magic Johnson. Players want to talk to Jerry West. Jerry West was one of the key reasons Kevin Durant decided to go to the Warriors. So when you think about that, you can see where where Genie Bus is going with bringing these these big names, these big former Laker names back into the fold. And, and it's kind of, it's really a big juxtaposition. We were just talking about how the Knicks failed to embrace their their history and, and their legendary players, whereas the Lakers are kind of banking and hoping that that reinvigors the, the limelight, the success, the fame that they once had. What do you guys think? Yeah, spot on. It's really, when you bring in those players, you're bringing in a culture. And the, the Lakers has a, have a culture of winning. And when you bring in players such as Magic Johnson and Jerry West, players who won, players who've exceeded and have done well, you're bringing that same kind of mindset to the rest of the team. And now you're looking at young players, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle and, and Clarkson and Ingram. These are young players who are all talented. And now you're hoping that these players grow together. And who better to lead these boys than men such as Jerry West and Maddie Johnson, players who can say, hey, hey, you know what? You want to know my resume? Look at my t- look at our tapes, and look at look at those banners that is in the rafters. This is why we know what we what we're going to do. And then plus, Magic Johnson really he does a lot for the the LA community anyway. And you saw what he did when his ownership group you know, took over the Dodgers. How that brought a whole new feel, a whole new dynamic. Yeah, they were still winning at the time. They started to decline, but it just brought a whole new feel. They started spending money. People wanted to go to L.A. They started making those big trades. And so I think we're going to see a similar dynamic with the Lakers as well. You're going to start seeing some free agents come there. And it's going to be a very exciting team. It is definitely a team that, that before this I would not have watched um, too much. But I will say that this is a team who we should definitely look at look at during the offseason. Interesting. What, what do you think, Martin? Sorry, I hit the wrong button. Um, I totally agree with what Lave said, too. I think Magic is, is a multimillionaire for a good reason. He knows the value of, of marketing, of, of community interaction. And I think, too, when, when you look at what Luke Walton is doing, he's letting – these players play and that is the the key in addition to the legacy and the historicity that they have and the respect for their tradition and culture that's lacking with with the previous team we talked about if you're a a free agent and you're in your mid to late 20s of course you're going to want to play in la that they have these talented young kids that are developing and growing and looking just at ingram who couldn't catch on the first few weeks but he's starting, he's growing, he's making the mistakes he needs to make to become a better player. Clarkson, Russell, I think those guys have have an excellent future ahead of them. And I think Randall is the, the biggest linchpin of all this because he's 
that kind of player that a team needs. He's not afraid of anybody. He won't back down, and his game is so versatile. He, you know, he can get a triple-double or he can get 15 rebounds and 20-something points. So I think the Lakers definitely have a, a, a bright outlook going forward. It may take a couple of years, but I think that they just need that one moment, and boom, they're going to break. They're going to break, and it's, it's going to be good for basketball because we like to see these teams compete at a high level and win. We like the Lakers, you know. The, the generation we live in, YouTube can show you any of Magic's highlights. You can see Kareem. You can see Worthy. And, and that's where these young players know these guys from. Like like Leif said, you know, you can YouTube Magic and you can see just how great and how special a player he was. And I think that's also enough of a of a impetus or, 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 or bait for a good free agent to come and help turn that team around. Yeah, you guys are bringing up some good points. Um, like you said, they do have a lot of young players right now, and, and Luke Walton is trying to mold them, and he's giving them the opportunity to to fail and to learn and then also to succeed as well. But I do have a question for you guys. Do you think the future superstar of the Lakers is already on the roster? That is a good question. Go ahead, Mark. It is. Ooh, well, I think that when, for me, a superstar is a guy that, in addition to his talent, there's a, there's an inner quality that comes out. Like, when we look at guys who are superstars, the Jordans, the Kobe's, they had this indomitable will and attitude that, that made them special. Now, the guy that I see that on the Lakers that, to me, has that the most that essence is D'Angelo Russell. And I think he has to overcome his youth. You know, the, the situation last year that I think was totally blown out of proportion with him and Nick Young um, kind of stumbled out a bit, and, and he's dealt with some injuries this season. But, you know, he's he's got like this stone-cold kind of killer instinct in hitting big shots or making the big play, and I think he could become that. I think he is is so under the radar at a certain point because I don't think he was, even though he was a good high draft pick for the Lakers, I don't think people were blown away by the pick. Right. I think he came on late in his college career, and I think he's going to be the guy that that brings that game with his maturity, brings his game, and brings an element of style that people like to see in L.A. So I think, for me, I think he is the the burgeoning superstar that they have. And I think if he continues to grow, he will definitely be that. I don't think it's going to be somebody that they get after him or somebody they pay to come in, but I think the team is his for the future. Right, Leif, you want to chime in on that? I agree. I think it's D'Angelo Russell. That's the first name that jumped in my mind. Almost as a, I almost for a second thought about Julius Randle. But I don't think he has that that the superstar feel to him. But I think with D'Angelo Russell, he is going to grow and he is going to get better. And Martin touched on all those points that I was going to mention. But I also think what's going to happen is that the the Lakers probably won't have players like Lou Williams and Nick Young 
who are probably taking a lot of his shots away. And at some point, they're going to say, you know what, D'Angelo Russell, this is your team. We want you to be our leading scorer. We want you to hold, we want you to be the main distributor. And those shots that, you know, Nick Young just shot the ball up and makes, we're giving you a green light. And I think when that happens, I think you're going to see him go to the next level. So, answer your question, the player's on the team right now. It, he just has to be unlocked. He just has to be let. He just has to let him go and do his thing. Yeah, I like what you guys are saying. Uh, you know, as the Laker fan out of the three of us, I'm trying to be objective as possible. Don't want my bias to really show too much. But at the same time, I do agree out of all the players right now on the team, Russell has that potential the clearest. You can see it, you know, when he hits those big shots and he points to his forearm and says he has ice in his veins. That's what you're looking for in a lead, in a leader, in a, in your in the best player on your team, things of that sort. I do think that there is a lot of potential for Ingram to be a one B to Russell's one A. I could also see a scenario where these guys end up being great pieces to put around a star where you got you basically have a, a lot of young overqualified role player and secondary stars to put with a superstar like let's say Paul George decided he wanted to come back to California I don't think anyone in the Lakers front office is turning that down you put him in and you make it work with those young guys but if let's say a superstar doesn't want to come to this team in the next couple of years I think you're looking at Russell being able to become that type of player in the next couple of years with Ingram also having that potential. I like Randall a lot. I see Randall more as a a Draymond Green type of player. I think he's going to be somebody that can crash the boards, be good for you on defense, be a, a secondary playmaker, make good passes. He's shown a bit of that already, and he's also shown an ability to grab the rebound start the fast break himself he has a lot of dribbling ability but he's also a good player in the post Clarkson the fact that you got this guy as like the 46th pick and he's this good you're already ahead of the game so they have a lot of great young talent and again you got to give it up to Mitch Kupchak once again for drafting really well Lou Williams Nick Young I think those guys can become interesting trade chips as the deadline approaches I think that would be in the team's best interest, and those guys have really sold themselves well to be put on a playoff team if, if they want, if one of those teams want to make the trade for them. They're going the right direction. They started off very strong this year, but injuries and inexperience have derailed them a bit. So now it seems like they're going to try and finish the year not in a strong manner. I'm trying not to use that, that T word. But they're not going to try and finish the year off strong in hopes of getting a top three pick so that they can keep it or else it'll go to the 76ers. But there's a lot going on with the Lakers this year, uh, and it, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what happens next. But I think that's enough talk of the purple and gold. Let's, let's move on to another team that's closer to all of us proximity-wise, uh, that being the Brooklyn Nets. 
as mentioned earlier, Martin, our friend Martin, he's an avid Nets fan, lifelong Nets fan. And me and Martin actually went to the Nets game last night, the, the overtime thriller versus the Wizards. And there was a lot to take away from that game. Uh, but let's let's start off with Martin. You know, you're you're the Nets enthusiast, the the most experienced person on that team out of the three of us. So so what were your takeaways? What are your takeaways on the season? But let's first go on the game itself and then broaden it out. Well, I, I just want you guys to know I'm wearing my Nets hat as we speak. I had to put it on. No problem. Do what colors. you got to do, man. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I haven't watched many Nets games this season. Um, I was so hoping for a win. Uh, it's tough it's, it's, as a fan because I, I try to stay optimistic. That, that game, certain parts of it were hard to watch because, you know, we're, we're them. You have players that are are young and inexperienced and and have talent and then you're coupled with the fact that you know as a fan you don't want to watch the team lose especially in the season where they don't control what happens with their pick it's 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 going to the celtics and you you want to at least you know hope that, that with the pick swap we get something good but you want also to see these these young guys that we have like the Leverts, the Hollis Jefferson's, the Whiteheads, the Kilpatrick's, continue to develop and get that playing time. And it hurt me to see Randy highly egregious. It was almost like, you know, you, I, I wish I could have gone over to Atkins and say, do you know something about Randy Foy that we don't? Because Randy Foy hit a big shot for us early in the season. But Randy Foy has always been like the third or fourth guy in the depth chart. He's never been that quality player. He's a veteran, sure. And maybe he can provide some leadership, but sometimes I think veteran leadership is best left on the bench and not on the floor. So I don't know. I, I think we do have potential. I think the second half of the season is going to be a little bit better for us than the first half. I think injuries always factor into to our situation, especially this season. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, you know, once Lynn comes back, if he's healthy, I think that 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 clears up a lot of problems. A lot of what bothered me last night was when you don't have a good point guard or at least, you know, a a good floor general on the floor, that hurts the offense. And even though we we have great pace, we have uh, uh, good scores in Brooke and Kilpatrick, I, I think a point guard knows who gets the ball at the right time and when they get it and when they don't. And I don't see that with Whitehead, who was a combo guard in college, or Dinwiddie, who's a, a combo guard in the NBA, but also hasn't really fleshed out his talent yet. He's, you know, I don't think he's from a major college either. I think he, like, came in from one of those small universities and managed to get into the NBA. And I think he's more of a two-guard than he's a point as well. So I, I would like to see what this team looks like for more than eight games with Lynn. You know, yeah. when we went four and four with him, I want to see how we look 20, 30, 40 games with Jeremy Lennon and then see what happens from there. Right. I hear what you're saying. You know, me as an objective party, I was looking at that game last night and I'll tell you what, they do have a nice looking offense. The team does play hard. But again, like you said, they are missing that point guard element that would really unlock things for them a lot more. 
at the end of the game, I remember Bogdanovich was kind of acting as the point guard, but he just kept calling his own number every time he had the ball and going ISO and driving to the hoop. And he got some good buckets, but it's not the type of game plan that you're hoping for, right? Because Bogdanovich, he's a great scorer, but he's not the guy you want going ISO, game in, game out, game out to win you games. So there is there is some youth on that team. You guys do have some some interesting names. You do have um, Hollis Jefferson. You do have Lavert. So you got some talent in there. Whitehead and Kilpatrick. Um, you know, Brooke. He's still a young guy. So where do you see this team going now? Like, how does this team get better? I think it's time. I think um, I think we are prisoners of, of a previous regime and a previous GM, rather. And I think that, you know, we had an owner who really wanted to, you know, sometimes you get Mark Cuban and sometimes you get Prokhorov. Sometimes you get a guy who wants to change the culture and environment. And then you want a guy who just, you know, comes in with this initial idea of I can spend my way to a title. And I think he learned that the hard way, which was such a contrast from how he ran his Russian team. So I think now that he's got his head on straight and, and, you know, he seems to want to invest in building a culture and environment. And I think that word gets thrown around so much, but I think with teams like the Nets, like the Sixers, it fits, you know, the, the Nets need to build a culture. You know, we've only had, flashes of success in the late 90s early 2000s uh late 80s early 90s where we were playoff teams i think for for me for the nets you know they need to learn and grow from their mistakes we have a young gm he he signed some interesting names gravis vasquez uh who who was supposed to be our backup guard but his ankle was made of tissue and now he's he's on his his second surgery um Luis Scola, who's supposed to be a veteran presence for us, but I think I've seen Luis Scola. I've probably played in the more Nets games than Luis Scola this season. Um, <laughs> and I like the, the, the picks that they've made. Uh, I, I wished Yogi Farrell would have developed his shot when we called him up as a net from the D-League, but, you know, it is what it is. He's, he's on Dallas now, and now Dallas has to make decisions about which point guards they keep out of the 25 that they have. But for us, I think that our future is predicated upon smart choices, using resources that we have to make the team better. I don't think that the Nets are going to pursue a make the team better right away philosophy. And I don't think that they're going to trade away too many assets for the sake of getting a first round pick this season or next. Um, I, I've looked at what our, our most soluble chip is, is Brooke. He's our he's literally our best player. And when you look at the numbers he's putting up, he's he's touching rare air where um he's on a level I I saved the the quote here. He's basically in the same league as and I'm not saying he's as talented as Durant, but this is a guy who's the only player aside from Kevin Durant that has over hundred assists, over seventy blocks, and has made over eighty trip threes. And he's only 28, like you said. And I think Burke's game is the kind of game he's not going to be the uh, Wilt Chamberlain center where he gets 50 rebounds and scores 50 points. And I don't see Brooke as ever being the guy that's going to get 
average maybe 10, 11 rebounds a season. But I think he's going to be the off- offensive presence, and I think what he's going to miss in rebounding, he'll still make up for in in blocks or just protecting the rim the best he can. Honestly, I don't see them trading him during the season. Now, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if he was traded in the off season. But I think for this season, I think just to see what you can do with him and Lynn at full strength, I think the difference is the second half of the season. That's my hope. Interesting. Hey, Leif, we haven't heard from you in a while. You got any uh, next thoughts you want to share on this? I'm listening to all the comments, and I understand the viewpoint of that the Nets are a product of their previous regime, but we have to face a fact. The Nets are the worst team in the league, and they've been the worst team in the league significantly, and beyond just the bad contracts they have to make some moves and one of those moves has to be Brooke Lopez now last week there was some rumors and rumblings that the Pelicans were interested in attaining Brooke Lopez to me if I'm the Nets that's a trade that happens right away Especially if they give me anything of value. I'm like, please take him. Take away this contract immediately. Um, Lopez is good. Don't get me wrong. But when I look at Brooke Lopez, what I'm thinking right now is while he's healthy, you have to trade him. Because we don't know in two games whether or not that's going to be the case or not. So he's he's had a solid season. This is the time that that trade has to happen. With regards to the other players on the team, I mean, they're players who are just put together. I mean, the the owner, not the owner, the, the GM, the coach, um, Atkinson and, and Marks, we know what kind of what kind of mindset they have. They're more of a, a money ball, analytical kind of duel. And so that's how they went into this season. Let's see if we could get players who can give us this attribute and let's see if we can have as many possessions as we can have and try to use a similar tactic as the Warriors and the Cavs and let us try to follow what the Atlantic Hawks did. The problem with that is you don't have the players to do that. Now what I'm hoping is that they make some moves. Will those moves happen? I'm not sure. But the moves need to happen. If not, we're looking at this team possibly staying in the same place for several years. Um, I, I, I think the Brooklyn Nets could be a great franchise when they moved to Brooklyn. They did the whole rebranding. And I bought in. If we look back, I bought in. I almost said, wow, I feel like I can grow with this franchise. I lived in Jersey. I've been to a bunch of Nets games. Most of them were losses, but I've been to a bunch of games. And I'm like, I can buy into this team. Right now, this team doesn't have an identity. And I think that's what need, that they need so desperately right now. An identity, give the fans some hope. Right now, you're looking at players like Laverde, and you're looking at these other players and you're saying, wow, these players are good. 
these players are good in comparison to the other players on the team, which isn't saying much. What we need is players who are going to bring it to the next level. And that and this season, their the nine wins they got this season just shows that they need to take this thing to the next level. It's Brooklyn, it's New York, it's a big it's a big area, it's a big market. You have a big market team. Now it's time for you to win over the fans and show that you truly are a big market team. Spend the money, make the deals. You have to get rid of Brooke Lopez. You have to do it. Just do it. And it's time. The time is now. We 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 got the trade deadline in what two weeks. So I'm hoping we hear something from Brooklyn. There are teams out there who can use them. Make the deal happen. Well, I, I'd like to rebuttal if I could, guys. Please do. Well, the Pelicans trade was for Omar Asik. And I don't think in any universe, even with a high first-round draft pick, you make a trade where you eat up Omar Asik's salary when you have at least the third highest cap space in the league. I think that's part of the problem of previous Nets tenure, where let's make a trade, let's get this guy, and we're going to, instead of, to me, it's two steps backwards because now you've traded away arguably your best player for a potential draft pick, and now you have less cap space because you picked up this guy who had one really good season and totally got a contract he didn't deserve. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that trade if I ran the Nets. I wouldn't trade Lopez just for Omar Asik because now who's our center? Justin Hamilton. And now we're going to lose even more games. So now you've killed the momentum you have of trying to develop a culture and, and including your best player in it, at least for this season, because now you've taken on Omar Asik. And I think the Pelicans really, they just want another big man, young big man, next to Anthony Davis to alleviate the pressure. Now, I'm all for trading Brooke if we get quality in return. And by quality, I don't just mean another player, but I mean at least a good first-round draft pick with the potential of getting a next star or superstar. But I wouldn't make that trade for Omar Asik any day of the week, even if even if Omar Asik suddenly became the second coming of Anthony Davis in, in a Turkish accent. So I hear what you're saying. That, you know, you, you made a point that these guys look really good because they're the best players on a bad team, but you have to start somewhere. You know, look at how bad Philly was last year or the year before, and they had way better draft picks than Nets had, but they had to learn. They had to learn basically or suffer through losing to get to the point now where they're almost a playoff team. Now, do I think that we have guys like Noel or Okafor on our team? No, we don't. I won't kid myself. But I do believe, having watched Levert, uh, Whitehead, and Kilpatrick, that these guys can grow. Now, are they going to be a D'Angelo Russell quality player? Probably not. But I think they're going to be quality players for us going forward. And I wouldn't make a trade just because the league or, or people feel a trade has to be made and we have to get rid of Brooke. People bring up his injuries, but the guys played two years injury-free in the season last year just so that he would be healthy for the season to come. Why bother playing him in meaningless games when we've already won our share of games, what, 15 to 20? So I don't anticipate Burt getting traded during the season at the deadline, 
because I don't think anybody's going to give the Nets what they really want, two first-round draft picks over the next year or two. I don't think that's going to happen. Nobody's going to ask for Brook Lopez and get that because as good as Brook Lopez is, he's not worth two first-round draft picks for a team. Well, so, well Mozgov got two first-round picks, so we can't say that well, necessarily. You know what, but, but, I don't think there'll be lottery picks. If a team was to give two first-round picks, it's probably going to be a team like the Cavs, like the Rockets, somebody that has title aspirations and they don't care if they give up the next two first round picks they have because those are going to be in the high 20s anyway. So I think you could get for two first round picks, but maybe more in that vein versus mm-hmm. a, a lottery pick. And, you know, the next season, it has not gone the way they planned. I think Lynn missing all this time is a big factor. Definitely. Yes. It, and I think the, the, the lack of quality backups because... You know, like I said, if you put that, if it's like football, if you lose a quarterback, if the backup quarterback isn't up to his medal, you're, you're done for. Mm-hmm. If you lose your starting point guard, even if you don't run a traditional one for offense, but you lose the guy that's the extension of the coach on the floor and you have to make do with what you got, then you're going to look really, really bad. Especially, really bad. especially when point guards today are expected to be a primary primary scorer in your offense as well. Um, you look at Lynn, he definitely has that type of ability to be your your top or second best scorer while also running the offense. So that definitely hurts. It's definitely dire times in New York City basketball right now. We have Charles Oakley getting escorted out of a stadium where he was a legend. We have the Nets really trying to find their way through a a very tough season and it would be one thing if they were just kind of retooling and rebuilding this year but they don't have their own pick this year so the fact that they are losing this many games really really does hurt and compound in a lot of ways and I think that's why Leif would bring up the point of trading a Brooke Lopez because if you're going to have a draft pick in the first round this is one of the years to have one so if there's any way to get a significant even somewhere in the 15 to 18 range it it would really be a nice jolt to that that rebuilding process for for brooklyn but you know we'll see what happens there's there's no easy answers here for either teams either of these teams. We don't know what's going to happen with the Knicks. We don't know what's going to happen with the Nets. What we do know with the Nets is they've changed the front office. They've changed the infrastructure. They're trying to do this more step-by-step rather than do it all at once. So that is going to, I think, provide more stability for the franchise in the coming years. Hopefully, sooner rather than later, that'll turn into success. Whereas with the Knicks, they have so many things that need to change, whether it's moving Melo, whether it's moving on from Phil. One of those things have to happen because I don't think the the team, the fans, I don't think anyone can move forward properly until that happens. And then you have the Lakers. The Lakers are in a transition. You know, Kobe's gone now. That the specter of his legacy is is no longer there. Now you have these young guys that are trying to find their way. You have this young coach 
who's trying to instill a, a system that can work for years to come. So we'll have to see if a player like Russell or a player like Ingram grows into that superstar or if they sign another superstar in free agency. A lot remains to be seen there as well. But it was great talking to you guys this this evening. It was really good to chop it up on some three three organizations that really are very interesting right now for many different ways. But once again, it was great talking to you guys. Uh, you know, how do you feel about this, about tonight's episode? We're finished? We can't be finished. There's more. Well, there it you has go. To be more. That's how much Martin enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. I feel the same way every week. Like, that's it? Yeah, the time's definitely flying, but we have had like at least an hour worth of content tonight. It was really yeah. good having you with us tonight, Martin. You really. Uh, kicked up the dialogue another level the three-man pod seemed very successful tonight so i just want to thank you for coming on well my pleasure thank you for having me and and let's go nets really <laughs> Leif, as always good talking with you as well you guys if you're listening you're gonna notice a bit of a difference in the podcast this evening we actually have intro music and we have to thank for that wonderful music that you're hearing a good friend of ours, his name's Jonathan. You can find his music on soundcloud.com. That's soundcloud.com slash JBZXII. And you know, he's a really good guy. He has a very he has he's a has a great ear for music. I think you'll like the stuff he's putting out there. And now we seem a little bit more like an official establishment. We have music now, you know, we have some sounds for you to listen to, so hope you enjoy it. And once again, uh, I'm Calvin. You can find me, as always, on Twitter at Caldan384. Leif, as you know, you can find him at LDB Creations. You can find us at the Sideline Reporter, the SLReporter.com. That's the website. You can find us on Twitter there at the SLReporter as well. Martin is a man of mystery, and he does not delve into the interweb, so you can't find him. I'm sorry. He's off the but grid. But I'll find you. He, he's like Ron Swanson. He has his gold buried somewhere. You can't find him. But it was great talking to you guys. And uh, stay tuned next, next week, everybody. We'll have another fun episode for you. Take it easy.